guys. Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. everyone. Thank you for tuning in to A Cork in the Road podcast. I'm Kelly. It is so great to have you here for today's episode. And I am absolutely honored to take a moment to announce that the A Cork in the Road podcast received the 2023 Podcast of the Year Award at the Hugh Society's Wine and Culture Fest a few weeks ago right here in Atlanta. I'm still overwhelmed by this incredible honor. The energy in that room that day, though, is something I will never forget. And it is a privilege to continue to tell these wine stories with all of you. So thank you for the love, the support, the opportunity to highlight the 112 guests who have made this show what it is today. It was a beautiful moment all around to accept that award on behalf of everyone who has been part of the show. So thank you so, so much. I will not stop smiling about it. My guest today is Anthony Ponzica, the beverage director of the Porchetta Group here in Atlanta. Even though we give him a little bit more of an appropriate title in this episode, he does oversee the beverage programs at the now five restaurants that are part of this Italian-focused restaurant group whose values are instilled in community and culture and family, which makes a lot of sense given what Anthony tells me about his upbringing and the early experiences that he had with food in his family. We talk about his love of wine, his approach to wine pairings, his fascination with vermouth, and we reminisce about some of the recent collaborations we've done together that have been rooted in uplifting the restaurant and hospitality industry here in Atlanta. He is also a master of balancing food and wine with a healthy lifestyle, so make sure you keep an ear out for some of his guiding principles, tips and tricks, that he throws out at the end of the show. We close out the episode, though, with details about our upcoming collaboration on August 15th, which, if you're listening to this episode when it's released, it's right around the corner. We are going to be teaming up to host a rooftop wine party and silent wine auction to support two women, past podcast guests, in fundraising for their upcoming WSET diploma journey. So thank you, Anthony, for being on the show, getting me excited about this upcoming event, and for such a fun recording session. You can find all the details and ticket info and even a sneak peek at the 90 auction lots for this August 15th event by heading to www.acorkinthroad.com. I will be MC for the evening and we have about 100 tickets available total, but I heard that half are already sold out. So thank you to everyone who has bought a ticket and generously donated wine and wine experiences to this cause. I get a little emotional thinking about the incredible support of not only the Atlanta wine industry for this, but from our friends all over the country and even the world who have pitched in to make this possible. It's going to be quite the party. I'm so excited. And looking ahead to other events on the calendar, tickets just went live for the fall edition of Sip and Style, a wine and fashion pairing showcase happening on Saturday, September 16th at the Epicurean Hotel here in Atlanta in partnership with my leather wine pocket handbag co-designer, Donna of P. Sherrod. This is her creation and the spring event sold out and featured five rounds of food and wine and fashion pairings. So we are inviting a whole new group of local fashion designers to showcase their fall looks with us for round two of this super special collaborative event. You can also grab tickets for my next blind tasting class at Limoges Cellars in North Georgia happening on Saturday, September 9th, where we will be geeking out about Cabernet Franc from around the world, a grape very near and dear to my heart, actually, as one of the very first grapes I ever worked with during my time working at a winery in Virginia. So lots to look forward to, including 
a trip to Spain. So keep an eye on at a cork in the road on social media for those updates and adventures the first week in September. We'll be back with another podcast episode though at the end of the month, right before I head off to Spain. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know when the next episode is available. And until then, drink some Italian wine, try some vermouth in Anthony's honor, and I hope that you enjoy today's show. Cheers and take care. Latin roots. Hola, amigo. No vamos a hablar en español. No? <laughs> you speak probably fluent, don't you? Fluent adjacent. But I just realized that if we started speaking in Spanish, it'd be very difficult for me to do the transcribing of the audio. No español today. Luego, yeah. con vino. Yes, Thank you for having me. I am excited to be on here. I've been listening to this podcast since since you started it, basically. So it was what? really cool to be asked to be on here. Like season one? Mm-hmm. Kind of when I started going down the wine rabbit hole, but not too far. I was just more so like, I have some extra money and, you know, I like hip hop and Action Bronson was talking about natural wine and all this stuff. So I was like, let me go see what it's about. I tasted first and then I realized I was like, oh, okay, there's some more to wine than I thought there was besides like going to the supermarket and grabbing, you know, a bottle of red. So after that, you know, I had 45 minute commute to school, plug in the podcast in the car and you popped up. After you yeah. found wine through hip hop, somehow Kelly was found. This is exactly. not the direct connection, but I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, right? It's, it's pretty so good. good. Somehow there probably was some steps in between there, but I really appreciate yeah. that. And yep. a podcaster yourself. Have you ever been a guest on a podcast? It's way harder to be a guest than the host, by the way. No, I don't think so. Just no. hosted. I don't know how you do it, honestly, which I'm sure it kind of, you know, was somewhat of a recreational thing for you, but then you. You know, you became what you became. So (laughs) I don't know what that is, Anthony. I don't know what I became, but we're going to keep talking. Yeah, everybody, everybody knows a cork in the road. I mean, everyone that I talk to, at least in like the Atlanta wine community, when we first started doing events with you and, you know, things like that, I would say, you know, Kelly cork in the road. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, of course I know her. And I'm like, damn, everybody knows her. That's nuts. No, that blows my mind because we just are chatting like this with people on two mics. Like, that's what it is. But I think it's a really fun outlet. Like you said, people in their cars, you can learn about wine and you can learn about people's history in wine just by driving in your car. So we'll keep chatting with people while they're on the go. So hello, people who are moving around (laughs) right now. But before we officially start, an official congratulations to you on baby number two. Uh, You have a boy and a girl now. Yep. I'm done. Well, I think so. My wife keeps looking at me. Actually, today she's been like you know, holding him and like, you know, being mom. And she's like, he makes such cute babies. You sure you don't want like four more? And I'm like, yeah, for right now, I'm pretty positive. Thank you. <laughs> you got one of each. Yeah. I love it. But what an exciting time for you and your family. It is. It's crazy times. New restaurant was opening. We just closed on our house. Baby number two was born, moving. Now we're packing everything, getting ready to move. So it's been madness, but I like chaos. At that point, it's like everything's out of control. So you might as well just go with it. Even in all the organized chaos. I still feel like I've seen you a lot lately because we've done some pretty cool wine and food things this year. I will start with my favorite recent memory of working with y'all, but this I didn't have to do anything. You all just came over to my kitchen and you cooked a multi-course meal. You did the pairings with Chef Pat, which we will talk about the whole restaurant group in a sec, but your pairings what was the thought process for the pairings for this particular private dinner at our house? Because mm. you picked all new to me wines, Anthony. None of those wines I had had before. Yeah. So the first thing that went into my head for this one was, oh, damn, I'm I'm preparing for 
a bunch of wine people that I've never met in Atlanta. Well, or maybe like one or two that I've met. Kelly, a cork in the road. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, all right, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? I got to do only Italian wine. I don't know. Like, no, 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 no. There's got to be some wines that they don't know about. And then I was like, oh, okay. The Scuola Divina wines. And so I, I wanted to do as much of those as possible, but it's also tough because those wines are so, so natty that they can be flawed. And honestly, like one bottle may be perfect. The other one could be flawed. And then sometimes you get the whole lot is flawed and you're like, oh, it sucks. So to me, it was more so of finding ones that you definitely had to try before. And then on top of that, something that would come out of left field as well, which was the vermouth pairing. Um, because I know nobody does that. <laughs> when you told us to rub the orange on the rim of our glass, I was like, what is he up to? Yeah. It was crazy. It was like intermission, but I loved it. Yeah. yeah. So, but my thought process is very simple. I mean, you know, Chef did, what was it? A beet tartar, right? And I thought it was a lamb tartar or beef tartar. I misread the B-E-T for B-E-F. And I remember just thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, oh my God, I just totally messed up this pairing. I don't have wines picked out for it. I can't do anything about it. And then I realized, I was like, oh, well, the same reason that I would choose rosé to go with lamb or beef tartare is kind of the same reason it's going with this earthy beet tartare. Because Chef does a lot of lamb tartars, which is also weird that I would have thought he did beef because we normally just say bye to beef and we always go lamb. But I love doing rosés with tartars. With tartare or with pork to me are my two favorite things, because, except besides like sparkling rosé and fried chicken. That's my absolute favorite. Well, that's but, like, I mean, that's just on a league of its own. So Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but because to, to me, like people do, you know, white meat and fish with whites. They do red with red meat, but nobody goes in the middle, which would be pork, which would also be like rosés. So nobody thinks about those, but I think pork and rosé goes great. And then I think also on the end of raw meat, not charred. It doesn't have any caramelization in the proteins or anything like that. Very subtle, but still obviously beefy in a way, or beady in this case. And to me, that was that's always just something I love to pair with rosé. So almost anytime there's a lamb tartare, beef tartare, I will obviously change the rosé depending on the accompaniments of the dish and the flavor profiles he's going for for, for that specific tartare. But to me, I'm always just like rosé. So for that one, I knew we had this Barbera rosé, which is Honestly, kind of hard to find in Georgia, at least. Um, we have Rosés of Barbera, but we don't have ones that are like a very deep, rustic Emilia-Romagnan type of Barbera. We have more of the Piemontese. And to me, the fact that we had a Rosé one, I was like, oh, it's going to be damp, earthy, funky, mushroomy. It's going to cover everything. And I was like, thank God. I did it with beets because it ended up working out totally fine. So that was my that was my thought process for that one. For the rest of them was more so trying to balance out the nuances of those wines because again they are pretty natty, but they're so the ones that I picked for you guys are so well made that they're incredibly complex. So I just had to match the nuances with what I was doing, and then obviously the vermouth was that was one where. I knew could happen because Carpano's vermouth specifically is very warming, spicy. So to go with that dish that Chef did, which is very, you know, warm on the Middle Eastern spices and things like that. I believe there was Zatar on there as well. So to do all those things and the cheese, and I was like, yeah, I'm definitely hitting them with vermouth as a kind of palate cleanser type of thing. So that was that was definitely my favorite one to do. Cause I always love doing the vermouth ones because then I get to see everyone's face when the vermouth hits the table and they're like, 
what is this dude doing with vermouth? And then after they taste it, they're like, oh my God. So the vermouth is always my favorite. Rosé with, with raw meat and then, uh, or beets and uh, vermouth with kind of an intermission or even as the aperitif is always my favorite thing to pair. Beef or beets. Now I'm going to make sure I read menus very thoroughly so yes. I don't mess that part up. But hey, it worked for you for both ways. But mm-hmm. my reaction to that dinner that your whole restaurant group put on at our house was that it was very thoughtful and creative. Your pairings were playful. And I think that as all of us that were here that night that work in wine or adjacent to wine, that is exciting. So it was very entertaining to see what you did. It was so thoughtful. So where did this love of food and wine come from, Anthony? Because you have a tangible passion for it that comes out in the way that you are pairing these wines. Yeah. um, It's definitely my family, my upbringing. I mean, my father's Italian, my mother's Puerto Rican and Jamaican, so there was no shortage of good food in my house growing up. Sunday dinner was always a thing, Sunday sauce on the stove top, you know, you wake up smelling the garlic and the tomatoes. I had the quintessential Italian grandmother downstairs in the basement. Anytime I was hungry, I could just go down there and she would cook. There'd be times when my friends and I were just drunk, took an Uber home, and we don't want to make the noise in the kitchen downstairs so my parents hear us, so we go downstairs to the basement, try to be quiet. And of course, my grandmother couldn't hear anything without hearing aids. So we were like, yeah, it's okay. Mimi won't hear us. Three in the morning, all of a sudden, she just opens her bedroom door and she goes, Anthony, is that you? And I'm like, you have no hearing aids in when you sleep. Like, how do you hear us? So we're trying not to wake her up. But then I'm like, yeah, it's us. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just I'm just making food. Don't worry about me. You can go back to sleep. She's like, are you hungry? It's just like very stereotypical. It doesn't matter. She's like, no, no, let me get my let me get my glasses on. This let me put on my hearing aids. And it was three, three thirty in the morning. Uh, and she would make whatever we wanted. We wanted pasta. We wanted chicken cutlets. She would start pounding out chicken at three in the morning. She, if it was simple, we just wanted you know a replacement for Waffle House. She's like, you just want eggs and waffles. And we're like, yep, we'll take that too. So it's a way of showing our affection towards each other and a form of sustenance too. Because my grandparents grew up during the depression, and my father and my mother they weren't you know silver spoon fed either so it was always about how good the home cooked meals tasted and while they were sustenance flavor was definitely an uh, important part so i saw that unfold in front of in front of my eyes a lot as a kid and it didn't really do anything for wine for me it more so obviously made me love food and that's why i love food and that's why i love working out because i have to like freaking out because i eat a lot because you like eating food <laughs> yeah. yeah but that was also the other thing was my parents and my grandparents always, even if it was um, more so sustenance in a way and the familial gathering around the food, it was also always a matter of having food for me in the house because I was like the first athlete my family ever had. So they were like, he has to eat. He has to eat. They thought I was going to the NBA. Granted, I wasn't even going to be six foot, but they thought I was going to the NBA. <laughs> so, um, so they would always have food for me. They would make sure I was fueled, you know, things like that. Um, So I just saw how all that unfolded into the grand scheme of food is love and love is food and food is family and this and that. And, and one thing led to another. And then my first glass of wine was at six years old. That late? Yeah. Well, my first sips were, my first sips were definitely earlier, but my first full glass was allowed to have at six years old. I just had a whole group of Italian winemakers on a few shows ago and all of them had, yeah, sips at like four or five, whatever it is. So yeah, yeah. I don't think you have to explain anything here. I think it's a wonderful way your whole impression of food early on was love and family and gatherings and all of that. This makes a lot of sense to me now that I know 
where you currently work. And I know what you're bringing to that role. So let's talk a little bit about that current role because people may not know about this restaurant group. So how do you describe the work that you do right now and your role with them? Oh man, busy, but in a good way. Good. Uh, so I'm the beverage director for the Porchetta Group. We are a group of Italian restaurants. We have five now, and they are all Italian. They will never be anything else. I mean, even like to the point where we have a fish shack concept that we have thought about, we're going to figure out a way to make it Italian in a, in a way, you know? So I'm basically in charge of everything beverage. I, I try to let my bartenders have creativity behind the bar a lot because I was a bartender once and I hated when, you know, they would say, no, we can't do that. We got to do this. We got to do that. Or just, they wouldn't even let you try to make a cocktail. And um, You learned early on. You're like, I got to give people a little bit of autonomy with these things. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. And that, like, it's a lot different of our industry than when I grew up too. When I was growing up bartending, the craft cocktails weren't a thing. If they were, they definitely weren't in Georgia yet. And then you were just hearing about Dave Arnold and the things like that, like the people in San Fran and New York City. Um, and they were just starting their journeys with all that. So to me, it wasn't really a thing. And then I stopped bartending and I started serving. And then I realized I was like, man, you know, I'm going to a lot of these places and these cocktails are pretty crazy. I started working at higher end restaurants. I realized craft cocktail was a thing and how much autonomy the bartenders had. So I always remember that even though I was done bartending, I always respected their craft because they basically are the chef of the bar. They come up with the cocktails. And some of these guys literally are chefs like Nick at White Bull. I call him a wizard. Because he just does things where I'm just like, how the hell did you even think of doing that? You know, and the same with Leo, who was once with us. Like, we've had some great bartenders with us. And, you know, they sous vide, they cook down, they make every all these different things that you would never chemistry basically put into a cocktail. So seeing that, I promised myself I would always let the bartenders have it. Here and there, I may put on a cocktail, especially if there's, you know, a product that I get a good deal on. Because in the end, I, numbers are my thing. I got to make sure everybody's everybody's uh making their their marks and and I got to keep food on my table so and chef's table as well um so that was always important to me for that and then regarding the wines I do all of the wine I definitely lean more towards wine as far as my knowledge and just my enjoyment overall I I like cocktails and I love the craft I appreciate them like I was just at a restaurant the other night in Florida and it was some of the best cocktails that I've ever had off a menu. I was really impressed with it. But in the end, I still went back to their wine list and I was like, what's on this wine list? Let's go look at it. You're one of exactly. us. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of do everything beverage. You know, I, I implement different things like White Bulls Vermouth Flight. As soon as I got, I mean, I did that before I was even the beverage director. I got there. I became GM of there before I became the beverage director for the group. And one of the first things I wanted to do was implement a Vermouth Flight because I love Vermouth. So, yeah, I mean. I'm kind of all over the place too. Like I, I get olive oil from all the wineries we deal with from chef. I've taken beverage director and I've changed it to liquid director because. <laughs> no, not liquid director. We decided the other day, oh, come on, oh, new title for the business cards. King. Yep. Yeah. King of liquid the liquids. King. Yeah. yeah. King of the liquids. That's what's yeah. going on your next business card. Yeah. I'm kind of, I wear a lot of hats, but in the end, I'm, I'm the beverage guy. Everyone knows me as that. People mostly know me as the wine guy, but I still know my, I know my spirits. I know. I can tell you the difference in a bourbon and a rye. I can do all that stuff. I like my spirits too, but in my palate, I lean more towards mezcal and rum. I think those two are very much terroir driven, kind of like wine is. For Italian restaurants, we tend to have a really good selection of mezcal and rum, and people don't understand why. And it's like, that's me, guilty, you know? Yeah. So, 
Well, and that's so fun because you do get to work with so many different types of concepts. Like, yes, you mentioned that this is the restaurant group, but what's really interesting for your role then is that you are looking at the clientele, the types of cuisine, and it's pretty diverse. Yes, Italy, but Italy is very diverse when it comes to the cuisine. So regionally, you get to play around with even the wine list for that because you told me that you only work with Italian wines. Is that correct? Correct. It has to be an Italian varietal. It could be from anywhere in the world, but it has to be an Italian varietal. Oh, that's a loophole that I didn't know about. Okay. Yeah, only a white bull, though. You'll see Australian, Italians, things like that. Australia's killing it right now, and I really love what they do out there. So if we want to know what you are enjoying right now, show up at White Bull's list and get those Italian yeah, varieties from other places. <laughs> yeah, if, and if not White Bull, honestly, I think a lychee has the next best one. I prefer white wine over red. You know, to me... A lychee is really fun because I can go white heavy there and I can really, really show off some some whites. And I mean, I know people catch give me some slack, but I think Italy has the best whites hands down. So the fact that I can put a whole country's list of whites on a menu is just like, this is great. Just throwing it out there. Heard it here first. That's on record now that that's yeah. how you feel about Italian yeah. white wine. But each concept is different. So are right. there any wines that are on, let's say, all of the menus how do you decide what goes on each of the wine lists? Because here in Atlanta, you're working with reps or portfolios. So is there any crossover or is each restaurant its own entity? Yeah, there's a little crossover, mostly with Sicilian wines because I'm Sicilian. So I have a sweet spot for Sicilian wines, but also because I think Nerodavola is a very just good overall table wine and Grillo as well. I think Grillo is... Very underrated, obviously, but it's kind of having a little come up renaissance thing in a way, but not big time. So I like always keeping a Grillo and a Nerodavola on the body glass menus at any of the restaurants. And the two that I'm running right now are Fido Montoni. I think those are at the price level they are. They're very, very good. They're very well made. And I like the Nero a lot because it's concrete. So when they ask, like, why does it taste this way? Or like, it's kind of very like, tingly and zippy and like flinty and i'm like oh it's the concrete and they're like what do you mean concrete I'm like sage to concrete they're like what I'm like yeah so so i love concrete so to have a btg on there is really fun your btg so. list is actually so exploratory and i think it helps people taste italian wines that they wouldn't normally pick off the shelf or wouldn't right. know to even seek out so has it been fun to work with the distributor portfolios here in Atlanta, because I'm guessing they know that Anthony only buys Italian wine. So are you getting some fun things from your distributor reps? Yes. At first it was hard. At first I just felt like I'm young, like I'm not even 30 yet. And I'm still learning this role. I'm, I've never been a beverage director before. Even Pat was like, hey, I've never been a beverage director either, obviously. So like, you're going to have to learn this too. And we're going to learn this together. But like, you're, you're going to basically start the whole systems for the group by yourself. And I'm like, okay, whatever. That's fine. So oh. once I did that, at first, I just hit the ground running with all this fun, funky, weird stuff. And then I realized I'm like, all right, not everybody wants that. You got to like humble yourself and settle down a little bit. So I'd hear about a grape and I would see that it's from the same importer that somebody already deals with. And I'd be like, oh, it means I got to have it. And then I'd, you know, inquire and they're like, no, we don't carry that. I'm like, but it's from Rosenthal. And they're like, yeah, but like we don't deal with Rosenthal like that much. I'm like, I have five skews of Rosenthal wine from you in my restaurant right now. What do you mean you don't deal with Rosenthal like that? 
And they're like, well, you know, it's allocated. That I didn't even understand allocations really at that point. They were like, well, it's allocated and we'd have to order a minimum of 20 cases. So unless you want to commit to 20 cases. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, what do you have in-house? Like, what can I do? So luckily I have really good reps. And when I was getting started, I had to be picky. But really now, lately, now that we are five restaurants deep, I realized a lot of people bring in stuff for us, which is really cool. For instance, a distributor a couple of months ago when Alici was just first opening, they had these pet gnats and a couple, I think they were like Ligurian pet gnats. And they brought them in to me and they were like, hey, we're thinking of, you know, bringing these into the state. What do you think? Like they were consulting me in a way. And I was like, I was like, damn, I made it. And then I realized I was like, wow, people are doing this a lot, actually. So, you know, people would text me later. And they'd be like, hey, just got a new drop of, you know, 20 different Italian wines. We thought of you guys first. And I'm like, you would have never done that like three or four years ago. So, but I also do think like, I don't want to give all of us the credit because we talk SHIT and have fun. We still, we still are humble at heart. And uh, I don't think it was all for us, obviously. I do think, especially in Georgia, it's already there in other parts of the country. But in Georgia, I think, but I would like to think we helped with that in a way a little bit. But yeah, I realized the Italian wine selection has definitely broadened almost to the point now where i don't have enough menus to place stuff on and there's a lot of wines i taste and i'm like man these are really good can't really do that right now and it might be like six months and hopefully it's still in stock by then because i try to make my menus at least two seasons out uh, and i make prior commitments to people and you know i think it's a lot of relationships you know and in, in life any anything but especially in business so i don't want to piss off anybody so when i tell you i'm going to put a wine on my menu so long as you keep your end of the bargain I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. You know, people will get a new thing in or something maybe that I asked about and I totally forgot. They're like, hey, it's finally here. And I'm like, this is four months later. And now I've already picked out two more wines in front of it. You know, so it's it's been tough. It's But it's been really fun at the same time. I, I think now in Georgia, we've definitely gotten to the point where we've got some really good juice from Italy that we can choose from. And it's doesn't seem to be slowing down either. And you're filling the list with it. So what you're yeah. saying is you need more restaurants because you have more wine than you have room for on your list. Come on, Chef Pat. I mean, is that what I just heard you say? Yeah, sure. I'll take more restaurants. Why not? Oh I don't my need gosh. <laughs> But you're, you are, I would say, let's give a little bit of credit to any restaurant group that is really focusing on a topic, on a region, because it does help in terms of quantity, in terms of frequency of sales to have right. that coming into the state. So you can give yourself definitely a little credit on that, I think. Yeah, a little, little pat, a little pat on the back. Yeah. yeah. And that makes me think the another recent event that I got to team up with you was quite extravagant as well, but this was our truffle and wine pairing yes. dinner. But I got to step in and talk about these wines. Chef Pat got to design a menu littered with truffles and caviar. It was pretty amazing. Yep. But you poured all of the wines for us. You made sure our cups were full this entire dinner. Do you enjoy that table side service? I do. It's bittersweet. You guys are eating all this really good food and I'm pretty hungry myself. And It was very hot outside. And I'm sweating. The honesty. <laughs> this is amazing. No, I'm, I'm, no, for real. Like it was, it was, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. And it's, again, it goes back to like my roots as who I am. Like it's people I like, I respect and, you know, we're friends, things like that. That's fine. I don't mind it. I feel like you were more of the song because you were the one talking about them. I didn't pour one ounce of liquid that evening, that Anthony. That was all you. <laughs> that is fair, I guess. Um, but you yeah, know, I, I enjoy them. It's 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 a nice refresher, right? Like I moved on to beverage director so I can get out of the restaurant every night, and so I didn't have to be table side every night, putting out fires here and there. Even though I put out fires every single day, it's nice to go back to the roots in a way. 
And I think it just depends on what the setting of the event is. But no, when it's events like that for you guys, I, I love doing that stuff. It's it's always good vibes. It's good people. Like I said, it's back to my roots. I'm, I'm serving and taking care of people that I care about. So I like it. I just wish I got to eat more. You did a great job. And I know there was lots of good food on that table. So thank you for providing that experience. But I do think about this in terms of the restaurant world, and you are leading so many different sides of this, but you have this one key partnership and we've been skating around this. Let's talk about how you work with the mastermind himself, Chef Pat Pascarella, wine and food combination. It's you two. So how do you work together? Your beverage, he's food. How do you guys work together? I wouldn't say I work on the the food side. I will say for as good of a chef as he is, and even his cousin, Sue Pat, that's not his name. His name's Pat. But for those listeners, he's always been Chef Pat's Sue. So we call him Sue Pat, but they're both named Pat. So, not to be confusing at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know people always come in the restaurant. They're like, hey, I'm here for Pat. And we're always like, which one? Because <laughs> you know? he's here. Which one? He's yeah, here. One? <laughs> um, but no, I would say... I don't obviously work in the kitchen or do anything like that unless we're doing like the sandwich pop-up, things like that. But what I do love about them is, you know, Sue Pat will make a new dish and he'll be like, hey, cuz what do you think about this? And I'll try it and I'll be like, it's good. But you want my honest opinion? He's like, yeah. And I tell him and he's like, all right, cool. And then he does that and he tastes it and he's like, damn, yeah, it's a lot better. Cool. You know, so we have moments like that. Pat, he's so much doing his own thing that we don't have those moments as much, but he also does when we're hiring new new executive chefs and things like that, he'll let me sit in on the tastings that they got to run them through. And, you know, he'll be like, what do you think? Or he's like, I think it needs ass. And I'm like, yeah, me too. You know, so we agree on a lot of things that we do that, um, but we don't necessarily work together, especially towards the menus. All the restaurants in the end, until we have a wine bar one day, all the restaurants in the end are food focused. And that's what people are coming for, which is fine. So in the end, it's my job to match the wine up to the food, which is fine. It's cool. It's a good dichotomy anyways. we I think we are awesome teammates, all three of us, and and our other chefs in the company as well. But no, I wouldn't say I work directly with them. The, and even then, like the pairing I had with you guys and other pairings and offsites we've done, he just sends me the menu and he goes, I'm at it. And I don't even get to taste the food, which is crazy sometimes, but I always make it work <laughs> somehow. Well, thank goodness that he's very descriptive on his menus as well. So at least he gives us, because he did that for the truffle dinner, he gave me a very detailed description of each dish. So we rolled with it. So I kind of got a little sneak peek into how you guys do work. But it is creating this atmosphere of food and wine together. You say people come for food, but I bet you now there's going to be people coming for this vermouth flight to White Bull. So you well, say that. But- there are. There are. Some, there definitely are some people that love it. That you know They'll write a review about it on Google or whatever, and they'll shout it out, which is always cool. Same with the Amaro flight and things like that. But I think people think, at least in our profession, don't get me wrong, there are some people who are perfectionists and true professionals, and I respect everything they do to the highest level. But I also think for the general population – Sometimes people take wine pairings too serious in a way. And I think people have to remember that whether you think of it that way or not, that person that's eating it, unless it's, again, someone who's a professional, you know, whatever, that wine is a compliment to the food. And very so few times you can actually make the wine the star and the food makes the wine taste better versus the wine making the food taste better, right? So I think that's there's a fine line where you of, of wine pairing where you have to do that. And where you can do that, but it's very hard. And for the general palate of the general population, it is even harder. So that's why I say I'm more so a weight on them 
uh, to come up with the food because in the end, I know I'll knock that pairing out of the park. I don't, I don't have any sweat towards it at all. But I think for the guests' experience, they more so care about the flavor of the dish, and then hopefully to them, they're thinking, "Oh, this wine goes good. I just paid for a wine pairing," you know. So I always want my wines to accentuate the dish because in the end, that's how they're thinking about wine pairings. But for you guys, things like that, like your favorite think was the vermouth one because the way you explained it, you were like the vermouth gives it what it's missing and it's you weren't explaining it necessarily that it was accentuating the the dish you you were showing that it added to it and really the vermouth became the star on that course even though pat's dish was obviously bomb and incredible but in your mind the vermouth was the star of that course and that's what i go for if i can especially when it comes to vermouth because vermouth is so complex with all the botanicals and everything that it's just such an eye-opening moment for most people when they do have it it filled in gaps in the dish and not, right. like I said, not that Chef Pat's dish had gaps. I'm not nope. saying that, but. Nope. On the vermouth, record, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, well, maybe I did say that, but I don't mean it. The vermouth was just really the star in terms of leading the flavor profile. And that doesn't always happen. Wine sometimes takes a complimentary role or a supportive role right. or it, you know, it fills, it's like the, the background and lets the flavors in the dish shine. And it was really opposite. It was a very unique combination with the vermouth. So I think you've got something going there with understanding how people are exploring both food and wine. So don't sell yourself short on this because you're doing a really good job. And you guys have been recently pretty cool connectors and especially the Atlanta hospitality, the food and beverage industry. I know there's a lot of respect for your fellow beverage and food professionals. And you've been doing these hospitality hangs, these like Monday, Tuesday night, come over, first drink on us, we'll put some food and like everyone chat. So where did where did that idea come from? So I can't take much credit for that. That's definitely Pat's idea. Atlanta's such a young city as far as a booming, bustling city. Yes, like people are moving here, this and that. We've got great food and great people here, but I think the culture, the industry as a whole is just not as tightly weaved as it can be. Like you think of New York, you think of, you know, San Fran, Chicago, all those places. Everyone knows each other because that's the industry. I mean, even here, like a lot of people know each other, but Pat would always say that like, if a restaurant was down a cook or something and the restaurant next door happened to have an extra line cook on that night, they'd be like, hey, I've got so-and-so here. Do you need a hand? I can send them over there. They just made it work. And they always were there to help each other. If, you know, there was, you know, a leak or something, they would all, all the chefs would get together and team up and patch the leak so they didn't have to pay someone to come out and do just all those things, kind of like neighborly love types of stuff. And I, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't done a good job of getting to know people in the industry. Like there's a lot of people I don't know, especially in the wine sector and, and beverage sector. I know names, I know faces, but I've never formally met them. And even it gets to the point where sometimes we're in the same area and I won't, I won't even go up and shake their hand or like introduce myself. So I'm at fault for that too. But I've seen it firsthand where a lot of people look at other people as a threat, even though that shouldn't be it. Like People are going to eat at all the restaurants no matter what. Nobody wants grana every single night. Nobody wants a lychee every night. Nobody wants white bull every night. As good as they are, nobody wants them every single night. They're going to go to other restaurants. you know. So I think people just look at each other as competition a lot, and it doesn't need to be that way. We're all in the same industry. We all want the same thing for everybody. We all want to put out good food, put smiles on people's faces, make them leave full, happy. And I think that's what we're trying to achieve with the Hangouts is like, hey, then we can be neighbors that are cool with each other. Or, you know, I think it's good that we're doing it. And, you know, it's it's just another way to kind of get the industry tightly knit because 
think we saw with COVID and everything too was just a lot of people that were in the game for so long just all of a sudden disappeared. And they even like cut all ties. Like there was some people where I knew were there for forever. And next thing I know, I see on Instagram that they moved to the other side of the country. They didn't tell anybody. And they're not even in the industry anymore. And it's just like a lot of it fell off, especially with COVID. It definitely came back tighter. I think that's what we're trying to achieve is just kind of knit everything together. And at some point, competition's good, but like it doesn't have to be day in and day out 24-7, you know, just make good food and make people happy. I've already seen some great ideas come from the people that have been gathered while yeah. we're drinking our drinking our Campari Spritz. Typically, history has proven if you get people, like-minded people in the same room with a positive attitude, cool shit happens. It's been really fun. So thank you for creating that energy. And every time there's someone new there. That's the last keep... one. I heard it was really good. Yeah, the circles keep getting wider and wider. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were, you know, busy or something like there was like a child being born or something like that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something else on your calendar. Yeah. But thinking about the Atlanta food and wine scene and really that hospitality side how are you pursuing your own education in wine are you connecting now with resources in atlanta to keep learning like where are you getting your knowledge about italian wines for the most part i'm just a very curious individual so i'm the type of person where i, I find something i like and then i just dive headfirst into it i kind of want to be like kind of a renaissance man in a way so like i like the idea of knowing a lot about a lot of things not a little about a lot of things that seems pointless to me so how do you know a lot about this but you also know a lot about this that makes they don't tie together and i'm like i know they don't i just like those two things oh so. but that makes a lot of sense because i think that the very first time i ever connected with you maybe years ago i don't know but it wasn't about wine it was about exercise it absolutely yeah. was like our first conversations were something about like health and wellness yeah. so i know that you have a passion that was my own instagram that. Vino and kilos. That's right. Yeah. And we were talking about balance of wine and healthy lifestyles together. So yeah. I can't help but ask you any tips for those of us in this crazy beverage industry. How yeah. do you how do you find balance with your health and your wellness and living and breathing alcohol all the time? I'm gonna try not to make this too complicated because obviously I can go down a rabbit hole. But rule number one is I really don't drink throughout the week. I only drink on the weekend. No, basically every single tasting I have during the week, I spit. I don't allow myself to swallow any of it. And then I basically chug a glass of water after each tasting. So if I have like two or three tastings in a day back to back, I'm basically figuring out a way to chug two, three glasses of water to balance out. Because like say I, I don't eat breakfast that day, I'll realize that if I do two tastings, just from swishing and tasting things, the alcohol absorbs through my saliva. I start feeling like a little, like my eyes will get a little heavy and you'll start feeling it a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I got to drink some water. Um, so I know at that point, my body's absorbed some alcohol. The other biggest thing is, is always getting sunlight. I step outside a lot to get sun at the restaurants. I'll work outside. Um, the sun is vitamin D and all those things that the sun can give you is, is very important. And then probably if I have to pick the third thing, I always force myself to work out no matter what. I think the mind is more powerful than the body is. So for instance, uh, the truffle dinner. So the truffle dinner, I had some sips of wine. I just tasted everything for the most part. I didn't have a full glass of anything because I knew I wanted to go work out. I wasn't able to drink as much water as I wanted to. I didn't get to eat much. I still drank a little bit, so further dehydrated my body. We left at one in the morning, and I was just—I was still somewhat amped up from from the experience. So I got home, and I was like, "I'm gonna go work out." So I just—I wouldn't allow myself to not get a workout in that day because it was also—I think it fell on a Tuesday or something mm -hmm. like that. So mm -hmm. I was like, "There's no way." 
I'm messing up my consistency this early in the week. If it's a Friday, maybe, but there's no way on a Tuesday, I'm not going to let myself get a workout in. I mean, it's like anything, anything, you know, you start strong and then all of a sudden you stop you're, you miss one workout and you miss two, then you miss a week and then you get back on it for a week and then you miss it. And then you go, I'm not going to the gym anymore. Um, so for me, I think that's the most important thing in the restaurant industry, especially because restaurant industry is not, I want to say it's the healthiest industry. Like we eat a lot of good food, but like sometimes those good foods are deep fried you know, and things like that. Uh, and then the alcohol, that's just part of the culture. And whether, you know, you're that type of person that goes and gets plastered after work or you're that type of person that just has a beer after work or a glass of wine, there is balance you need in your life. And I think the balance more so comes with discipline and it's just the discipline is what's mostly lacking for a lot of people. So I think if you could find that balance of discipline and enjoyment, it'll be good. You get so much benefit from finding that balance. Like for you personally, I'm sure you can identify a day that you don't feel balanced versus a day that you do. And you're going to be better at all aspects of your life when you have that balance. And I've just watched you really help people with this and finding some ways to integrate that discipline, that regimen into your day, even around food and beverage. So cheers to that. I go for walks every single day. I don't talk about it very often, but I, I feel strange if I don't break a sweat during the day. I feel strange. It's a weirder day when I don't have a workout than one that I do. I'm the type of person that I believe in be comfortable being uncomfortable type of person. And I think people are so comfortable in the air conditioning and, you know, not sweating that that's when, you know, it, health becomes a downfall for us as humans because naturally we're movers. That's what we do. And I think the same thing goes with your podcast, for instance. I'm sure when you first started, it was a little weird and it was a little hard. And you were uncomfortable, but eventually you just got comfortable doing it. So I think the same thing needs to go with health, especially in the restaurant industry. Like to me, if I could find a way to teach people how to balance out the restaurant industry and being healthy, it'd be ideal. I'm just still trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, you're telling you're telling me and I guess yeah. whoever's listening right now. So that's amazing. It's just important to have it as a priority. So thanks for always bringing that conversation to the forefront. I think it's really awesome. important. And I'm very excited to continue combining forces with you. And we have a pretty big event coming up. And I'm saying this because as of the day that this podcast is out, we're less than a week away from this big event that, you know, I think is going to be pretty epic. So it's going to be cool. Should we, should we talk about it? Should we plug it a little bit? Absolutely. Little shout out to uh, rooftop at Grana, August 15th. What's happening on the rooftop at Grana on August 15th, Anthony? (laughs) We are having a I wouldn't even, I mean, how would you even, I don't want to call it an auction because it's more so like a whole full-fledged event. Like It's it's, more than just an auction. I know. We marketed it like, hey, there's an auction going on, but it's like, it's definitely more so like, it's also for, you know, Marbella and Jade and, you know, the young and upcomings in Atlanta that are gonna hopefully do what we were talking about earlier in this podcast by bringing more knowledge to the Atlanta wine culture and the beverage culture and putting Atlanta on the map with the other great cities like, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, yada, yada. I think us being able to support them in that sense is going to kind of be the catalyst. Yeah. So we are having a, an event, an extravaganza. A party. Um, a fiesta. Yeah, a party. Um, I mean, well, we're definitely celebrating, but also just helping two people in the, in the industry, in, in the Atlanta industry that are definitely doing their thing and they're killing it while they do it. And get the creme de la creme of all 
of all the segregations you can't get from that society. So I think helping them out and having this extravaganza on the rooftop is going to be a blast. I really hope the weather's a little cooler. I hope it's not too hot. But yeah. I should just tell everybody right now, dress accordingly because yeah. we will be on the rooftop. If like I slightly have to work this event or not, I'm I'm not wearing pants. Not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually be in tank top and basketball shorts. You might see me then. And you'll be yeah. the most comfortable person at the party. But it is, it's going to be such a fun event regardless of the fundraising aspect of it, which is really cool because we've had so many people donate by giving a little, we're going to raise a lot. So I think Chelsea just posted from Enofile Institute. I think she posted 90 or more auction lots available. The total value of everything is like $23,000 that's been donated. So if we get anywhere even close to that, we are sending these ladies to the moon with their wine yeah, educations. That's so cool. I'm so pumped. What are you serving though? Because all drinks and food is included in tickets. If we're plugging yeah. this, we got to tell people. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what the food's going to be because that's Pat. And then you're the king of the liquids. Why did I ask you about for, food? We're going to do um, some Prosecco for the people that like their bubbles. And then we're going to have a Sauvignon Blanc by the glass for these hot days. And then the red, we're going to be doing a Montepulciano because I would love to put a medium-bodied light red on, but everyone would be upset if there's not a full-bodied red, despite 100-degree weather. So I just put it on there to make them happy. <laughs> we will be very, very happy. That's yeah. awesome. So three wines and a whole selection of food yeah. passed around the roof. Well, That's all you can drink, all you can eat. I'm already saying it's going to be my favorite night. I really hope I don't have to work this one. <laughs> I want you to party with us. I know. It's be I a party. I'm like, I missed the last one, so now let me party. <laughs> I, think you, I think you've earned it, my friend. Well, this is coming out on August... Let's see what day is it, 10th. And so if you're listening on the day that it releases, there are still tickets, but obviously that is dwindling. So, but it's going to be really fun. So thank you all for partnering with this and being up for it. It's one of those ideas that maybe even came up at a hospitality hang. No, it was at your dinner at your house. I walked outside of Marvella's crying and I'm like, oh, what did I just walk out into? And she's like, no, no, it's okay. And I was like, oh, okay, what's up? She's like, Chef Pat did just this and that. And I was like, Oh, that's incredible. I was like, I thought I walked out on like some awkward time of you crying because something happened. And I was like, dang, I got to be here for this. <laughs> this was happy tears because he offered tears. he tears. offered to support this cause by hosting this party for us. I haven't oh. told Marvella yet, but I don't know if she remembers, but the first time she ever met me was when Bastone opened and I had a Cota di Volpe by the glass and she pulled me aside. She was like, is this your wine list? I was like, yeah. And she's like, I just want to say I'm so excited and thank you for having a Cota de Volpe on by the glass because I've always wanted to try it and I've never tried it before. And I was like, oh, you're welcome. So I was like, damn, that's actually someone who knows about Cota de Volpe. And then I realized she was she was a wino like us. And But I just laughed. And I, now I think about it, I'm like, I'm going to tell her when I see her next time. I'll be like, just remember when you get famous and you become vague, who gave you your first glass of Cota de Volpe? Well, that's so. just one moment that you know about. Think of how many people are excited about what you have by the glass and don't tell you that's how true. fun it is. So you, that's just one of many, I'm sure, Anthony. That's a good way to look at it. Good so way. fun. Well, how can people connect with you and learn more? You guys are growing. You just opened a new spot, Grana 2. So there are lots in the works. How can people keep up with you and find out what you're doing? I'm mostly on Instagram. Uh, it's thatmanant. T-H-A-T-M-A-N-A-N-T. You can try to find me at any of the restaurants. I bounce around all the time because I'm basically like Mario. I bounce around all over. And for Ketter Group's website, you can catch me on there and also on our Instagrams as well. So each restaurant has their own Instagram. So Grana, ATL, 
a lychee oyster bar, Bastone ATL, and then we also have White Bull ATL. And then you have the Porchetta group on Instagram as well. So lots of ways to find me. I would plug in Juice Boys podcast, but it has sadly come to an end, so that's okay. But if you want to go back and listen to episodes, they're still up. So we do have some really fun and good episodes on there as well. But if anyone ever needs to get a hold of me, Instagram's the best way. I get a lot of DMs every day regarding wine, health, how to balance them out. You know, anybody who wants to learn or better themselves, whether it's financially, whether it's healthfully, whether it's in wine or beverage or anything in general, food, I love cooking. We can talk about grilling meat all day. Yeah, just reach out to me and DM me. I always check my requests. I believe you about the grilling meat because I just remembered that at Chef Pat's birthday party, you were the one manning that whole pig roast. So I'm yep. not surprised. That yep. makes sense to me. I actually have beef short ribs on the grill right now, just cooking low and slow. Like, just hanging out. Well, I can't keep you from that. I'm so right. thankful for your time. And I do believe you that if people reach out, that you're more than happy to start conversations. So thank you so much for what you're doing here for hospitality and for the beverage programs. Really fun to have you on the show, Anthony. Thank you. It was an honor. I was excited to be on here. When you asked me, I was like, ah, I'm going to be on it. It's so cool. I appreciate it. We'll party. We'll drink. It'll be a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.